Wow. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team, for blessing us this morning. Wow. God is good. Amen. Spirit of the Lord is here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Amen. Amen. I just want to remind us really quickly of something really cool that is happening uh, with people in our church. Uh, I want you to see if you could participate. There is a, uh, a ministry called Comfort Cap Circle. It's every second Saturday of each month from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Carol Vivier's house. And what they do as a ministry is they make hats, scarves, robes, and other such things for cancer patients and those in need. Uh, it's a b very awesome ministry that we have that was birthed from our people here in this church. And so if you're interested in that, just connect with Carol Vivier uh, after the service sometime and uh, see how you can be involved and participate in that. Well, uh, we are going to be continuing our series on prayer, and we're calling it The Way of Prayer Part 2. Really inventive, right? right? <laughs> but there's consistent scripture verses about the way we pray, about how we go about prayer. And so we're going to be digging into a lot of different scriptures today. We're going to be doing, again, what I like to call the biblical calisthenics, where we move around from different scriptures, but they all highlight similar themes. And I want us to see how those themes can impact our lives and inspire us to pray in different ways. But before we jump into the scripture, if you would just bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who hears our prayers, who hears our praise, that you are a God who inhabits the praises of your people. Holy Spirit, you are here, you are present. We have gathered where two or more are gathered. There you are with us. And Father, we claim that. We proclaim that you are here with us, and we thank you for being present among us. God, I pray that as we open up the word that we will be transformed by it, that it will not just be for education, that we don't walk away saying, wow, I learned something new about prayer, but that your spirit will convict us about these different ways of prayer to put them into our lives, to put these ways of prayer into practice, not just hearing the word, but applying the word. I pray that you'll convict each and every one of us to do so in your holy, precious powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you may or may not know I like to write, and sometimes I write silly stories, and other times I write nonfiction about Jesus, and when I first started out writing, it was really, 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 really rough, <laughs> and, and I praise the Lord for a great writing mentor in my life who took time to let me know that it was really, 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 really rough, and when I started my first book, which you could see, if you read that book, it's rough, okay? So I don't always recommend it, but if you want to go and look at it and see how bad my writing was, please go ahead and read Pinocchio versus the Real Boy. But the, the thing that happened in the midst of that book is my writing mentor was giving me some advice, and I thought, man, I already know how to write, man. I know you've written like 24 books, but, but I'm going to do it my way because you, you're telling me to change something. I don't want to change it. Well, when the book got published, nobody bought it. So that means that it was bad, right? And I should have taken his advice, and I didn't. So when it came to the second book, What Good is Jesus? And he told me, hey, listen, the whole manuscript needs to be rewritten. I had one of those, oh, no, moments. But I took the advice this time, and it became a much better book. It took a year 
to change the manuscript, but it was well worth it. It's a much better product. And I share that not to say, oh, go ahead and read my books, or I'm a writer, because I'll probably never tell you that again. But I share that with you because I should have listened to the advice of the expert. The expert was giving me the answers to how to do things better. And Jesus, when it comes to prayer, is an expert on prayer. And so when we're going to look at the ways of prayer, we should look at the expert on prayer. Because you and I, we might think we know how to go about prayer, or we might even read the traditional Lord's Prayer as we did this morning, and, and we don't really understand what Jesus is trying to share with us. It's a, it's a shell of how to pray, different aspects of prayer that you and I are to integrate into our lives, and we can see that by the way in which Jesus himself prayed. You see, Jesus exposed the realities of the Lord's Prayer in the totality of his life. And so this week and next week, we're going to be unpacking different ways of prayer. Today, we got another acronym. Last week was SITS, right? Where a good disciple sits with the Lord. We talked about supplication, intercession. We talked about prayers of thanksgiving and prayers in the Spirit. Today, as we look at the acronym PAT, right? Where we're going to pat the Lord on the back. No, that's not, I just was trying to figure out how to, how to get an acronym in there, all right? We're going to be talking about prophetic prayer, anticipatory prayer, and travailing prayer. Now, Jesus unpacks those with his life and in the Lord's prayer itself. But see, you and I, we, we tend to try and just pray on our own. We try to just do all the talking, and we, we miss the realities that there are different ways to pray, and so I'm excited to share with you these different ways. So we're going to be answering the prayer, how, or the, the, the question, what are the ways of prayer? And if you look at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, before we read it, we know that it says, Our Father. It says, Our Father. We're not going to be unpacking that whole verse, because I think we've done that when we talk about intimacy. But we need to understand that prayer is the relational roadmap to God. We talked about the communica communicative connection last week, but prayer is the relational roadmap to God as well. It is how we are to have relationship with God. And so when Jesus talks about prayer, he's saying, here's how you can connect to me. So we better wake up and say, how are we going to connect? What are the ways of prayer? And so again, we're going to be doing those calisthenics. We're going to begin in Psalms, go through Matthew, and look at John. And so I will begin at Psalm 44, verses 4 through 8, to answer the question, what are the ways of prayer? Psalm 44, verses 4 through 8. And you could read along with me. The word of the Lord says this, You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we give thanks to your name forever. And then I'll skip over to Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2. The word of the Lord. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Wow, some powerful stuff. Moving on into Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And this is the Lord's Prayer. 
as it's titled. Many would call it the Disciples' Prayer as he teaches them how to pray. And this is where we're going to land here for a while as well. The word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And finally, we'll move to John 16, 20 through 24. And you'll understand as we go along why we're reading these specific passages. That's again John 16, 20 through 24. John 16, 20 through 24. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of great meat from the scriptures about how to pray. And I think that the first thing that we need to look at when we look at the, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, about what are the ways of prayer, I want to look at prophetic prayer. Because prophetic prayer pauses to hear God's voice. You could see that in that moment where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You might be wondering, how in the world does that have anything to do with listening? How is that prophetic? But it's speaking something into existence that God already wants to do. God desires for his will to be made manifest on earth as it is in heaven. Essentially asking, Lord, may earth look as much like heaven as it can right now. That's a prophetic prayer, looking into the future, asking God to do something now, in the right now, as he would desire to do so. But in order to understand what the Lord's will is, we have to listen. We have to read. We have to wait. We have to be in silence. Now, I think I've had this conversation with us before, but silence in our society is really hard. Sitting and being still is difficult. If I were to stand up here for two minutes and say nothing, many of you would squirm and wiggle around, maybe look at your phone, Facebook someone really quickly, text message the person next to you, why is he standing there quietly? What is wrong? Silence is difficult. But prophetic prayer pauses to hear God's voice. Also, another thing that I think that we don't necessarily see, when we read the Lord's Prayer, it's really easy for us to say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we walk away expecting him to do everything for us. But the reality of it is, is that you and I are participants in making God's will a reality on earth. You and I have the opportunity, the job, I dare say the call to bring heaven to earth, to live out the will of God here on earth. 
Prophetic prayer is a purposeful partnership with the Lord. Say that ten times fast. Prophetic prayer is a purposeful partnership with the Lord. And I fear many, when we pray that prayer, it's really easy to just say, Lord, your will be done. But he's like, hey, I have a job. I have a mission for my will to be done on earth. I want to use you. I want to use you as a tool. But we don't sit in silence long enough. We just say that prayer real quick. Lord, just make it happen. Amen. And we walk away and we're like, I did my prayer duty today. We need to sit in silence. Prophetic prayer is purposeful. It's, prophecy is two things. Prophecy, many times we think about it as telling the future, foretelling, right? But it's also forthtelling. When a prophetic word comes, it is what God is doing in the now as well. What God wants to do, where God is going, but yes, also hard truth. When you hear something from the pulpit or when you read something in the scripture and it hits you in your heart, that's a prophetic word hitting you. So Lord speaking directly to you, to your heart about what he wants to do now. And so prophetic prayer is saying, God, how can I participate in your will? How can I be a participant in your will on earth as it is in heaven. First change my heart to hear your will, to know what it is so that I can then live that out and then I can speak that into existence, into the life of our church, hearing and praying, God, may this happen. You see, we have the opportunity to pray the will of God. And you look at that idea in, in, the, uh, in the Psalm 62. we saying, I will wait for the Lord in silence. He is my salvation. He is the one that I need. And my friends, we can many times think that we're the ones that we need, but when we spend time in prayer, we ask the Lord what His will is, we will quickly realize that He doesn't need us, but He wants to use us. That we don't have everything going on that we think we're good at. That He needs to speak truth into our lives, and there are words that we need to hear for ourselves. We must be silent. A.W. Tozer says a really powerful thing, and this is mostly for pastors, right, when he's speaking this, this, but I think it's for all of us. He says this, a closed mouth before God and a silent heart are indispensable for the reception of certain kinds of truth. No man is qualified to speak who has not first listened. Woo! If pastors would listen to that a whole lot often, a lot more often, if I would listen to that a whole lot more often, where I have no quality of speaking unless I first sat at the feet of the Lord and listened. Because it's not about me. It's not about what I want to say. It's not about you. It's not about what you want to say. It's about bringing your heart together with the will of the Lord. And the reality is, is that no matter how old we are, no one is done. We all can be participants in His work. We can all be participants in his will here on earth. Are we listening? Are we waiting? Are we just trying to say, you know what? I want heaven to come here, but I want to go to heaven right now. I just want to be gone. I want to leave. And I know many times we can have that attitude when culture gets us down and things are rough in our world. We just say, just take me now, Jesus, because I just don't want to be around when all this stuff happens. But because we're here, because we have breath in our lungs, because our feet have hit the ground, you and I are not done. We have an opportunity to participate in the will of God. Are we prophetically praying into that? Are we saying, Lord, use me, mold me, shape me? Are we praying into the future of what God wants to do here? God, I know that you want to see people saved. 
Pray into that. Pray into people getting baptized in our midst. Pray into people coming into our church. Get on our knees and pray, God, we want to see more people come, not so that we can have butts and seats, but so that we can have life change in the people's lives that will walk in these doors. Amen. Those are prophetic prayers, my friends. Because that aligns with the will of God. God's will is to see people saved. God's will is to see people baptized. God's will is to see people pushed out into ministry, doing his will where they are. It's okay to pray prophetically in that way. Because it's the will of God. Now, we have to check everything through scripture. We must. We can't just start praying weird things. We have to be in line with the scripture. And God's will is so powerful and so real. Are we praying into it? Are we expecting God to show up? Another easy definition of prophetic prayer is listening to the Spirit. Listen before you speak. And then conveying what we hear humbly. Because prophetic prayer proclaims what one hears from the Lord. Prophetic prayer is not just listening, it's proclamation. It's proclaiming God's will. Ask the Lord, what is your will for my family? What is your will for the church? What is your will for my life? And then we pray it out loud. Proclaim it. State it. We're partnering with the Lord and we say, yes, I will do that. I know that is your will for my life. Lord, make me into that person that you are seeking to make me into. May I come in alignment with you. May I hear your voice and then proclaim it. Man, prayer can be a whole lot more fun. It can be so much fun when we look at the scripture and say, this is the will of God. Yes, I want to see that happen. I want to see that happen in my day. I want to see people healed. I want to see people transformed. I want to see culture be completely rearranged by the people who live the gospel. And may I be a participant in that. Man, have you prayed that fun prayer? It gets me excited. I pray in this sanctuary every Sunday morning. And I pray that God will hit our lives, that the Spirit of God will meet us every Sunday because that's prophetic prayer. Asking God to come, asking God to move, asking God to speak into our lives. Whew, I could just keep going, but man, it's so good. It is so good that we can pray the will of the Lord. Carl Barth said, prayer is an act of defiance against the way things are. Are you mad or disappointed with the way things are in our world right now? Man, prayer is an act of defiance against the enemy's work, against his movement. And we can pray against it in Jesus' name. And we know that Satan will have to flee because where the, dark, where the light is, the darkness cannot remain. Are we praying in defiance against the enemy? Are we praying in defiance? Man. The next thing that we see in this idea of pat, we see prophetic prayer, but we also see anticipatory prayer. Anticipatory prayer. You look at Jesus praying this one prayer. Now, I know I'm moving around, and we'll get back to uh, other parts of the Lord's Prayer later. But in verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says we're to pray against temptation. Now, that, that could be a really confusing statement. What does that mean, lead us not into temptation? Well, I really like what Warren Wearsby says about it. He said, lead us not into temptation does not mean that God tempts his children. As we see, James says that. In this petition, we are asking God to guide us so that we will not get out of his will and get involved in a situation of temptation. 
1 John 5.18 can help us there as well. Or even in a situation of tempting God so that he must miraculously rescue us. It's not saying that God wants to tempt us, but he's saying anticipate the enemy's movement. Anticipatory prayers prepare believers for battle. Anticipatory prayers prepare believers for battle. Listen, we live in a war zone. We talked about this at the end of our series on the book of Ephesians. We are in a battle. And many times, if you were to think in military terms, many times we're sitting in our camp, chilling, eating bonbons or whatever. We might be swimming in the, in the ocean in our camp, and, and all of a sudden the enemy comes and he does a sneak attack and takes out half of our people, and we're like, what happened? Where, why did that happen? It's because we were not expecting the enemy to show up. But guess what? He is going to. The Bible describes and says often, stay away from temptation. Move away from those things that cause you distraction. The enemy will come against you. Be prepared. Wear the armor of God. And we see at the end of that, we talked about this last week, praying in the Spirit at all times. We have got to be prepared. And the way we do that is through anticipatory prayer. Lead me not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. That is not just phrases on a piece of paper. That is saying, get me ready for battle. Don't let temptation overtake me. Let me be ready. Let me have eyes that see the enemy's schemes. Listen, I'll tell you one thing about the enemy. Although sometimes he takes us by surprise, his tactics are really dumb. It's the same thing every time. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be praying, God, prepare us. When Jesus calls us to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation. Again, in the garden, we can see Jesus doing this with his disciples. He wants to be in the garden. He takes his disciples with him to pray in the garden with him, and he says, hey guys, stay here and pray with me. Remember, we had this prayer that he was talking about, Lord, may my will be aligned with your will. And he looks at his disciples, and he says, come on guys, pray with me. And he goes away, and he has a passionate prayer moment, and he comes back, and Peter, James, and John are sitting there, and they fell asleep. And he's like, come on guys, wake up! And he says this, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Anticipate that the enemy is going to try and take you out tonight, boys. Anticipate that the enemy is going to try and draw you away from me. Expect it and pray against it. Watch, be open, keep your eyes aware. But as we know, the disciples fell asleep again. And they all fell into temptation of running away and abandoning Jesus, especially Peter, who was right there, who Jesus said about two or three times, watch and pray, stay awake. He was not entering into anticipatory prayer and allowed himself to be sneak attacked by the enemy. And boy, did it hinder his relationship with Jesus for a time until Jesus brought redemption and restoration. Anticipatory prayer seeks protection from the enemy. Anticipatory prayer seeks protection from the enemy. Are we praying protection over our lives? Do we know that the enemy is coming? Are we on our knees saying, God, I can sense it. I know the enemy wants to attack. And sometimes the Lord is going to give us visions or dreams or he's going to speak to our heart about what is going to happen. He might even say, this is going to happen, X, Y, and Z is going to come against you, and you need to pray against it right now in the name of Jesus. 
He could give us a word of what to expect. So when it comes, we're like, huh? knew that was happening. Let me tell you something. As I've been participating in anticipatory prayer with the Lord, the enemy is going to try and attack our church. He's going to try and attack you. He's going to try and attack me. I tell you right now, we have got to be ready. Because when we move where the Spirit is moving and we follow His will, we are putting targets upon our backs. The Spirit of God is moving. I don't know if you felt it this morning, but I've been feeling it a lot, that God is doing something in our midst, that He's moving and He's drawing people to Himself. And that means that we've got to be ready for Him to move and do His thing, step out of the way, but we also have got to anticipate the enemy's schemes. We need to ask the Lord to protect us. Hillary and I, when we were at council not too long ago, it's a big group uh, meeting of all the CMA pastors, happens every other year, and we were there, and, and this guy was speaking, I think it was like nine years ago, maybe, and he said, here's a prayer I pray over my kids each night. He said, protect them with your blood, uh, recover them with your blood, protect them from evil, and may they fulfill your purpose in their lives. And Hillary and I, we looked at each other and we said, oh, that's good. And so every night we pray that. Every day our kids go to school, we pray that over them. Cover them with your blood. Protect them from evil. And may they fulfill your purpose in their lives. It's a prophetic and an anticipatory prayer. Knowing that the enemy is going to try and come over them. That we need to ask the Lord to cover them. Now, even Liam can, can quote some of it at the end. right? And, and they, they, I don't know if they love it or not, but we love it as we pray over them. Because it is an anticipatory prayer, knowing that the enemy is going to try and hurt our children. A.W. Tozer says this about anticipatory prayer. He says, anticipatory prayer gets the soul ready for whatever temptation there may be. Temptation can't hurt you if you have anticipated it by prayer. But temptation will certainly fail you if you have not. Are we expecting the enemy to come against us? We should be. We need to have anticipatory prayer as a part of our lives. Not that God won't protect us if we don't pray for protection. But there's something about anticipating the enemy's move. That camp that just got, that had that sneak attack, that military camp. What if they had one eye open and they had their, their swords behind them as they slept? So when the enemy came, they could immediately go after the enemy and the enemy would not be able to have any kind of sneak attack. They were prepared. They were ready. You and I must live ready. The scriptures are full of that. Jesus tells a story of ten virgins who had their lights and they were ready for the coming of the bridegroom and there, were one, there was one that totally missed it, wasn't ready, fell asleep, didn't have oil in her lamp and was begging everybody, help me, give me oil in my lamp. But it was too late. She wasn't ready. You and I have got to be ready because the enemy will come after us. The next thing that we're going to talk about is the idea of travailing prayer, the ways of prayer, prophetic prayer, anticipatory prayer, and travailing prayer. Now, this isn't necessarily part of the Lord's prayer per se, but Jesus models it for us. And here's what I have to say about travailing prayers. And we can see this in Matthew 26, 36 through 41, and then John 16, 20 through 24. Travailing prayers are long, lingering prayers of intercession. Travailing prayers are long, lingering prayers of intercession. And the word travail means painful or laborious effort. 
That's why Jesus gives that weird, weird image. It seems out of place when he talks about a woman giving birth. He's like, there's this pain that comes, but then there's the joy when the life happens. That there's this time of laborious work for a baby to be born. And at that time, there was no sedative. They felt everything. It was natural birth. It was painful. It was hard. It wasn't easy. They didn't have hospitals the way we have. And he says, that's the kind of thing when you pray in my name and you pray and you pray and you pray, when the answer comes, you can rejoice. Joy will come. But he gives this image of laborious prayer. What what is he talking about? What is that even look like this long lingering atmosphere of intercession we'll go back to the garden one of my favorite images of jesus in prayer is the prayer of gethsemane and the time in gethsemane in the garden while he was praying for his will to be in alignment with the lord he was there for a long time he was praying hard he had laborious prayer saying god align my heart get me ready i know the enemy's coming It was so intense that he was sweating blood. It was a laborious prayer as he sat there and just waited for the Lord to change his will so that he could be in alignment, so they could move together. He models this travailing prayer. One of the things that's interesting about prayers, I don't hear very, very many sermons. I don't think I've heard any sermons, actually, about travailing prayer. The only time or the only reason I know about them is because in our history, A.B. Simpson talked about travailing prayer in a way that people just were like, what is he talking about? But he opened up the scriptures and showed many people that we need to be on our knees. When the Lord is urging us to pray, when he's burdening our hearts to pray, we need to remain until the burden is lifted. Many times when the Lord burdens us to pray, we sit there and we say, okay, I'm going to pray for this, I'm going to pray for it, and then we walk away. But are we having labor pains? Are we birthing something? Are we asking the Lord for something so desperately that we become tired and we're there for a long time, interceding passionately? I know that my life's not really marked by that type of prayer, and I I pray that that will change. Because God wants to use us in the midst of prayer. We are warriors against the enemy. And travailing prayer helps our hearts get in line with his. It helps us get in line with his. Jesus' prayer vigil was an all-night-long travailing prayer. Travailing prayers are difficult, but they're worth it. I'm not going to say, hey, go have a travailing prayer and enjoy it. Have fun praying for four hours desperately for the Lord to move, to do something. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. Jesus says that joy will come when the answer comes. Ask it in my name, and it will happen. Ask, and you will receive. Are we on our knees begging the Lord desperately, or do we give quick little momentary prayers? Travailing prayer is something that you and I should be seeking in our lives, to be on our knees before the Lord, asking and watching him give that which we've asked for. When our hearts are burdened to pray, we must travail. I know that sounds weird. It's a different type of prayer, but it's all through Scripture where we see the prophets praying hard and long. Nehemiah himself was on his face for days and days, Daniel would pray every day for a long time. Scriptures talk about and model travailing prayer often. Are we travailing in prayer? Are we in laborious, deep, passionate 
prayer. Travailing in prayer brings our will into alignment, into alignment with his will. Jesus' will was in alignment because he prayed. Jesus gave us an example and a model of travailing prayer purposefully so we would know how to intercede passionately. Jesus in John 17 prays for his disciples and it was a travailing prayer. It was a prophetic prayer and it was an anticipatory prayer. If you were to open up that scripture, John 17, and read how Jesus prayed for his disciples and for you and for me and for the world at large, you will see the whole PAT all in it. Because he was anticipating the enemy coming against them. He was praying long and desperately for his disciples and he was prophesying things that they would do. It was included in that entire prayer. Are we praying in that way? Are we asking our, our will to be in alignment with God? And if we end up when we're done praying and our will is not yet aligned with God, we better go back and travail until it is. Now that's not a fun thing to say, but we can pray hard and we can pray long and we can wait and when our will is in alignment with His, that's the birth that we needed to see in our lives. That's where the joy comes when we say, wow, I really needed that. And we might be surprised by the joy that comes, but trust me, it will come. Travailing prayers many times are battle cries against the enemy. There was a, a congregant in our, in our church congregation here that had a word from the Lord, and they were burdened to pray all night for another congregation member in our church. They were on their knees, travailing in prayer, interceding and passionately praying for the Lord to intercede in this moment. He knew that something dangerous was going to happen to this person and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. It was a battle cry against the enemy. No, you cannot take that person's life. No, God will not let that happen. No, I will not, I will not stop until I am done praying and I know that the Lord has heard me all night long. And guess what? The Lord answered his prayer. The person did not die that he thought was supposed to die. He prayed and interceded, and I do not believe that was a coincidence. I fully believe that the Lord birthed that passion in his heart, and he travailed in prayer because travailing prayers many times are battle cries against the enemy. Directly after the baptism of Christ, we see he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit where he fasted and prayed and travailed for 40 days and 40 nights, and then temptation came, and Jesus was able to look it in the face and say, you're really bad at the Bible, Satan. I know way more than you do. You're toast. Listen, friends, prayer is the primary work of God's people. That's a core value of our denomination, of our church, that prayer is the primary work of God's people. We should be learning to pat to pray prophetically, to pray anticipatory prayers, and to pray travailing prayers. We should be leaning into that type of prayer. May we be people who pray, and may we pray in more than the easy way of prayer. Let's bow our heads.